Well, if this is your uh, first time with us, my name is Philip Trock. I'm one of two pastors here at Richfield Bible Church. And uh, last week, Brian finished up a three-part series for Christmas in the Gospel of Matthew. And next week, Lord willing, he'll be back in his series in Jeremiah. Usually, in the preaching of God's Word here at RBC, we are working through books of the Bible. And yet, from time to time, we will step away from our series to consider what the Bible says about a specific topic. And that is what, that's what I want to do with you today, which is New Year's Day. Now, the celebration of, of New Year's, of course, traditionally includes three things in my experience. One is food, fireworks, and resolutions. Okay? When we move from one year into the next, it feels like we're starting something fresh. And we want to make the new year better than last year. Now, some people resolve to finally do that thing they've always wanted to do for so long. This is the year to scratch that thing off of your bucket list, perhaps. Some people resolve to change their circumstances. This year, they're finally going to get a better job. This year, they're going to finally move into this house or move out. Or this year, they're finally going to whatever it may be. And then sometimes, people resolve to change themselves. You see, if, if so much of life seems out of control, then the easiest way to kind of make sure that next year is better than last year is to make ourselves better. And so for some people, New Year's is a time to plan for change, personal change. Now, I know what many of you are thinking, or at least some of you are thinking. You're probably thinking something like, Phil, I am part of the 62% of Americans that do not make New Year's resolutions. Okay, how many of you would say you're in that category? You're 62% you don't make resolutions. Okay, that's great. Okay. My goal today is not to convince anyone to make a resolution. Okay. But I want to ask you a couple questions. Have you ever observed something about yourself that you knew needed to change? I think we'd all, hopefully, we'd all say yes to that. So then my next question is, what did you do about it? Or think about it this way. For, forget it being a new year. Okay, scratch all that. Is there any way right now you want to change for the better? Okay. And if so, how do you expect that to happen? How are you going to, to get there? How is that change going to take place? What do you do when you observe something about yourself that needs to change? That's what I want to talk about today. And I want to say, first of all, at the beginning, that I have been helped tremendously in my thinking about this by this book. And so if you do not have it, I would highly recommend to you purchasing it and reading it called You Can Change by Tim Chester. So again, we live in a culture that thinks about each new year as a time to make themselves new. It's a time for change. And that's not a bad desire. Okay? It's not bad to want to be better, right? It's normal to want to be a better person. You ask pretty much anybody, uh, whether they're in church today or, or never been to church, do you want to be a better parent, a better friend, a better boss, a better employee, a better spouse, a better you name it, then they'll say, they'll say yes. Okay? You could even argue that the desire to be better or a better person has something to do with God's gift to all people of a conscience so that they, in their capacity to recognize right and wrong, want to be better. So in a culture that is thinking about personal change, probably more so now than at any other time in the year, 
We want to make sure that our thinking about change is not informed by our culture. If you complete a simple Google search for make 2023 better, the top three hits will be something like the best ways to make 2023 a year focused on personal growth or 16 things to upgrade your life in 2023 and 12 simple decisions to make 2023 better than 2022. Okay, now there could be some helpful ideas in there somewhere. Okay, God has been kind to mankind and giving them some wisdom. But we want the scriptures to be the primary voice that shapes the way we think about personal change. And so I want to start this morning with this question, the question of what kind of change should we care about the most? Now, older kids, those you can read and write, if you don't have one of these handouts, you need one. Do you have one, Eva? I have an extra. There you go. All right, there's a few more at the Welcome Center. They have these questions on them, and you can fill in the blank as we go along. Well, what kind of change do Americans care the most about? Okay, you can probably guess what these are, right? Number one, living healthier. Number two, personal improvement. Number three, losing weight. Number four, career change or advancement. And number five, finances. Those are the big ones that Americans care about. And of course, all of these changes are important and can be good things. But the question we want to start with today is what kind of change should we care about the most? What kind of change is the most important? And the kind of change we should care about the most is actually the same change for all of us. If you remember back to what Brian read this morning, when, when God created the world, he said that it was very good. Adam and Eve were perfect and better than anything else in God's world. Adam and Eve displayed God's glory because they were unique. They were the one thing that God made in his image. In Genesis 1.26, he said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He gave Adam and Eve a unique capacity to glorify God in being like him. This was God's purpose for Adam and Eve. It was his purpose in making them and making you. You are his creation made in his image, made for his glory. And so the problem arose when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And they ate of that one tree and all of the Garden of Eden that God had restricted them from. They sinned, and now they were sinners. And as sinners, the image of God that they bore was no longer what it once was. As sinners, Adam and Eve no longer displayed God's glory as they once did. They now fell short of the glory of God. And sin separated Adam and Eve and humanity from God because he is holy and just and righteous, but he's also kind and gracious and merciful. And so God promises that one of their children would bring about restoration. Now, because of their sin, Adam and Eve did not lose the image of God. How do we know this? If you remember back to a little bit later story, we think about the story of Noah. He comes off the ark after this great washing of the world, and God gives him a law. And God says to him in Genesis 9, verse 6, he says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And so you see, after the fall, man still bears the image of God, and it's the reason for this kind of punishment when someone sheds man's blood. Sinners still bear the image of God. 
That's the good news. But the bad news is that though those sinners still bear the image of God, they also bear the image of Adam. Sadly, in Genesis 5, we read this. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And so Adam's sons and all his descendants are like him, which means, praise the Lord, we bear the image of God. We look like God, okay? But it also means we bear the image of Adam. And so like him, we are sinners. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust, that's Adam. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, that's us, we're of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now there's a lot that could be said and should be said about this verse. But for now, I want you to see one thing, and that is that we all share Adam's image, the image of God that is marred, defaced, and impaired by sin. So in this amazing, tragic twist, we who were made in God's image to make much of him are now in the image of Adam, and we love to make much of ourselves. So let me ask again, what kind of change do we all need the most? Our problem is that we bear the image of Adam. We are like him. The image of God in us is, is marred. We do not bear God's image as Im humans once did. It, it no longer holds the same glory. And we do not love the likeness of God that we bear. Our hearts are bent on making much of ourselves. We worship everything but the one who made us. We live for ourselves and for our idols when God made us to live for him and to look like him. And so the kind of change we need the most is for the image of God to be renewed or restored in us. We need to be more like God than Adam. There is no change that any of us needs more than this. No change that you can think of for 2023 could be more important, more significant, and more consequential. Paul makes it very clear that people who bear the image of God, or excuse me, the image of Adam, the image of the man of dust, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So the first question we answered today, what change should we care about the most? That is the change, the renewal, the restoration from the image of man, image of Adam, to the image of God. So question number two, how is this image produced? Or how is this kind of change produced? This is the kind of change we should be the most concerned about. So my question for you is, what are you doing about it? What did you do about this kind of change last week? How is this kind of change produced? Well, if you Google for changing yourself, you're going to find all kinds of stuff. Like uh, you can smile more. Literally, that was on a list I found. Okay? Smile more. Have a more positive attitude. You could, you could downsize. You could own less stuff. That could make 2023 better and change yourself. You could serve regularly at a local homeless shelter. You could even go to church every single Sunday. All these things people will do to try to make themselves better. But will these things be able to restore in you the image of God? Can they change the bent of your heart from making much of yourself to making much of God? Now, maybe you say, Phil, I, I'm not making much of myself. I'm trying to serve others. I'm trying to be kind to other people and, and look out for them. And it's good to help other people. It really is. But when we think 
that we can produce the change that we need most, then we are making much of ourselves. When we think that we can produce the change we need most, we are making much of ourselves and our strength. And of course, once again, those are, those are all good things to do. Even smiling more is a good thing. But the good things we do can never restore in us the image of God. They can never change the bent of your heart toward making much of yourself. Our first impulse, and we want to we change, is we want to jump in, right? We want to we roll up our sleeves, and when we start doing something, we like the satisfaction of, of measuring how far we've come, seeing our progress, and we always way overestimate our ability. But nothing we can do will work for this kind of change. We simply can't change ourselves in this way. The Bible says that we are dead in trespasses and sins. We are darkened in our understanding and alienated from the life of God because of ignorance due to the hardness of our hearts. And so we can't rely on ourselves for for this kind of change. The change is too big, and we have no power for this. We are dead in sin. Now, there are some things we can change, right? You can change your routine. You can change your habits. You can change your actions. In fact, anybody really can change those kinds of things if they want to bad enough. But the kind of change that you can produce is never going to accomplish the kind of change you need the most. You can't change you. The kind of change you need is deeper. It is beyond the reach of all your efforts because you cannot change your heart. It's impossible. Jesus reminded us of this when he said in Mark chapter 7, he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. What's Jesus saying there? He's saying that we are impure because of what comes out of our hearts And there are no external restrictions like food laws that can purify our hearts. He's not saying that external restrictions are are wrong or unimportant, but they are not going to change someone's heart. The law of Moses taught us that, that we can't change ourselves. The kind of change you need most won't happen because of what you do. And that may be frustrating to you. Maybe, that, maybe you, you want to be in control, you want to be in charge of your process of change into the image of Christ. And to that, I would say, are you, are you kidding me? Like, I can't even keep a resolution for a whole year. I should not be in charge of my growth in Christ-likeness. Okay? We should not be in charge of this. Okay? Why would we think that we should be in charge of our process of growth in the image of God over a lifetime when we cannot even do the simplest things or commit to the simplest things? So how does this process of change happen? How do we change from the image of Adam to the image of God? We know that it's not going to be something that we do. Simply put, this kind of change is God's work from start to finish. In Romans 8, which is a very familiar chapter and verse we'll read here this morning, Paul said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What's that? For those whom God foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. What does that mean? Okay? Many, many books have been written on this verse, but here's what I want us to notice. God's plan ahead of time has been to change people from the image of Adam 
and to the image of his son, the image of God. That's his purpose. And what God has purposed for us, he does. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul said, May the God of peace himself sanctify or change you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you his faithful, he will surely do it. God is the one who made us right with him. He forgave us our sins because of Christ's death on the cross, and he is credited to us Christ's righteousness. He made us right with him, and he's also the one who makes us like him. He restores in us his image. But how does God do this? Okay? How, does this how does this happen? Okay, remember, we are, we are spiritually dead. Okay? So what do you have to do with something who is spiritually dead if you're going to change it? You've got you to bring it to life. And that's what God does. When we turn in faith from our sin to Jesus, the Spirit of God unites us to Christ. And that being in Christ is, is, a, is a term that Paul uses a lot. And as a result of that union where we are in Christ, Christ's death and resurrection become ours. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. We died with Christ, our old self was crucified with him, and now we live with Christ. Our new self is raised to life. And this new life begins with something the Bible calls the new birth or regeneration. It's that first change to our heart by the Holy Spirit. He gives us new desires, new loves, so that now we, we want to make much of him. Now we are, are dead to sin and, and alive to God. The change we need most begins or starts with our new birth, which is God's work. So that's how God starts the change in each of us. But after that, after he gets us started, what happens next? The guys just kind of leave us on our own to kind of get the rest of the way by ourselves? No, God takes us all the way. If you remember back to what we read in Romans 8, we said there that all things work together for good. That's something God does, which means throughout your entire life, God uses everything in your life for this process of change which means God is full-time in this process of change for you. Every good thing, every bad thing, every day, every moment, God uses it all to change you from the image of Adam to the image of God. This is a process called sanctification. It's God's work from start to finish. And so the Bible is, is very clear that you cannot change yourself. I cannot change myself. It is God's work. But the Bible is also clear that we are not supposed to be passive or indifferent about our process of change. For instance, you can look to 1 Timothy 6, and we'll go through several here, where Paul commands us to fight the good fight of faith. Or Hebrews 12, where we're commanded to run with endurance the race before us. Or Ephesians 6, where we're told to be strong and put on the armor of God. Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. And finally, 1 Timothy 4, train yourself for godliness. And so clearly, though, though this kind of change that we need is, is God's work, we're not supposed to just sit back and put up our feet. So that creates a, another question that we have to answer, and that is, how do we get involved in this kind of change? How do we get involved in a process we do not control? How do we work in a process that is God's work? Okay. Well, in the scriptures, there's a connection 
between seeing Jesus and becoming like Jesus. Okay? Turn your Bibles. I'm not going to put this on the screen. I want you to see it. Turn your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John. First John, chapter 3, verse 2. Another verse I'm sure that you know well. First John, chapter 3, verse 2. Listen to what John says. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know, listen to what we know, that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. There's a connection in the scriptures between seeing Jesus and becoming like him. When he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we'll see him as he is. Now, turn over to the text that Vicki read for us earlier today, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18. Listen to the word of the Lord. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding or seeing the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Do you see the connection there again between seeing Jesus and becoming like Jesus. Paul says that when we behold or see the glory of Jesus, we are transformed into his image from glory to glory to glory. As the NIV says, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Now, maybe you're thinking something like this in response to what I've said this morning. Maybe you're thinking, okay, Phil, are you, are you saying that all I have to do is just look at Jesus and I'll become like Jesus? And on one level, yes, it is that simple. But let me, let me clarify. Does, does everyone who looks at Jesus become like Jesus? Okay. No, it's, it's possible to, to look at Jesus without seeing his glory, without seeing how glorious he is. And, and that kind of seeing, where you're just seeing him without recognizing how glorious he is, that kind of seeing has never, has never changed anyway. But for anyone who looks at Jesus and and sees his glory, Paul says, that person will be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what makes the difference then? Why does one person look at Jesus and see how glorious he is, but another person looks at Jesus and doesn't get it? What's the big deal about Jesus? Okay, what makes the difference? Okay, flip your Bible over, maybe one page, maybe the same page, 2 Corinthians 4. Okay, Vicki also read this passage for us. 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 4, if someone looks at Jesus and doesn't recognize that he is glorious, that he's amazing, then, verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's why someone can look at Jesus and yet not see how glorious he is. But if that's the case, then how does that change? How does someone who is blind to the glory of Jesus see it? How do they come to recognize that he is amazing and glorious? Look at verse 6. 
God has to change their hearts. Look at verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, for, for God who, who created the world and said, let there be light, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so to, to see the glory of Jesus Christ, God must first change your heart. This is the grace of his regenerating work that we talked about, bringing you from death to life. So that when you look at Jesus, your heart sees how glorious he is, and your heart prefers him, your heart values him, and your heart treasures him above all else. This is the, the start of the transformation from glory to glory to glory. And as you keep looking at this glory, as you keep admiring Jesus in his word, Paul says, you will be transformed from the image of the man of dust into the image of God. So like I said before, it's simple. Just keep looking at Jesus, and you'll become like him. Now, maybe you're wondering, but how does that actually happen? Like, so I keep looking at the glory of Jesus, and I just become like him. Like, how does that happen? Right? It's a great question. And on the one hand, I, I don't think we can fully explain how this happens, because it is a gracious, miraculous work of God through his spirit in us. Okay, Paul said at the end of that text there that this change from glory to glory comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So again, it is God's work. And yet on the other hand, we've probably all seen uh, ourselves changed by the people that we admire. Okay, whether you admired a, a professional athlete when you were young, or still do, uh, or you admired a special teacher, or maybe you admired your, your mom or dad, eventually that kind of admiration that, that person's character and the way they talk and things they do, it shows up in your own character and your own actions. We change to reflect the people that we admire. And I think we also recognize that our passions change us. The things that we love change our hearts. If our hearts love money, that's what we will worship, then we become more, more greedy and inhospitable. If our hearts are, are captivated by security and that's what we worship, then we become more fearful and suspicious of others. If our hearts worship our, our own comfort, then we become lazy and uncaring. Okay, whatever captures our admiration or our love, it, it changes us for bad or for good. And so a heart that is captured by the glory of, glory of Christ, that heart will have Christ-like desires. And those Christ-like desires will flourish into Christ-like actions. If we love, admire, and worship Jesus Christ, we will, by God's grace, become like him. But we still want to answer this question, how do we get involved in this kind of change? Thus far, it still feels very one-sided, very, very God-sided. Okay, so how do we get involved in this process? Is there nothing that we can do? Okay, well, if, if seeing Jesus as glorious is what changes us from glory to glory, then our contribution to this process of change is simple. It is to look at Jesus a lot. Okay. We can't change ourselves, but we can saturate ourselves with the glory of Jesus. By God's grace, we can keep turning away from sin in repentance and keep looking to Jesus in faith. And so how do we do that? Where do we look to see the glory of Jesus Christ, that transforming glory? Where do we see it? Okay, the obvious place is the scriptures, right? Paul connected the glory of Christ with the story of the gospel when he said that unbelievers 
can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ is seen in the gospel, in the story of the scriptures. So my exhortation to us this morning, one of them, is to to read this amazing story of God's amazing saving work through Jesus Christ. Meditate on his story with faith and trust yourself to him, letting his promises, his comforts, his warnings of, of this story, let them capture your mind, your heart, emotions, and actions. And through that kind of regular exposure to the glory of Christ, God will continue to change you from glory to glory. But the scripture is not the only place that we can see how glorious Christ is. We can also experience his glory when we pray. When we come with our requests, we have the opportunity to admire the sovereignty of God. But we also see his glory when we praise him in our prayers. We see his power when we praise him. And as we thank him, we see his care for us, his providence. Of course, we can see God's glory or the glory of Christ in creation. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. We can also see his glory in the church where each one of us, as we are being transformed from glory to glory, each one of us reflects the glory of Christ to this body. We show the glory of his sufficiency when we keep turning to him in faith amidst the hard times. And we show his uh, glorious, loving care for his people when we serve each other with gentleness. And so if you want to see the glory of Christ, all you have to do is, is look around at how God is changing your brothers and sisters here. And finally, and certainly, we can see the glory of Christ right here at this table of the Lord's Supper where the, the bread and the cup testify to us of his love and justice on the cross where he died in our place the righteous for the unrighteous to reconcile us to God. You see, God has graciously surrounded you with so many ways to experience, witness, and see the glory of your Savior. Now, as we finish this morning, I want to try to give just a few thoughts and reflections on this as we, as we go our separate ways today. Now, there could be someone here today who's heard everything I said and just doesn't see Jesus as glorious. It's possible that you've heard about Jesus before, or maybe this is the first time today, or maybe we've added to that knowledge, and you're just like, what is the big deal? I don't see it. And if you feel that way, I'm really glad that you're here. Okay? I don't know you very well, if at all, but I've been praying for you. I didn't know who would be here today, but I've been praying uh, these last several days for anyone who would come today who would not see or not believe that Jesus is glorious. And I've been asking the Lord to shine in your heart the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ through what we've seen today of Jesus Christ. I'm praying the Lord would regenerate your heart from death to life so that you recognize his glory and you are changed from the image of Adam to the image of Christ. And so I pray by God's grace that you see Jesus as glorious very, very soon. But to my Brothers and sisters, to God's people here this morning, people who share my love and admiration for Christ, here are just a few things I've been thinking about from this text and these topics. Number one, the next time you open God's word and you find yourself encouraged, comforted, or emboldened at the glory of your Savior, thank him. 
for opening your eyes to his glory. God has been very kind to you. Number two, this kind of change into the image of Christ is usually very slow. And so if you're discouraged by the slowness of your growth in Christ's image or an apparent lack of growth for some time, I hope you're encouraged today by the reality that this change is a work of God. It is a change that he has committed himself to. And so for all who are born again, your growth in Christ's image is inevitable. It will happen. God will do it. Just keep looking at the glory of Jesus in all the ways that God has made that possible. And to anyone who has come this morning who is convicted by their sin, perhaps you know, you've heard me today, and you know that the reason you haven't been growing or the reason that Jesus hasn't seemed as glorious to you lately, you know it's because you've been loving sin. You know that your heart has been captured again or enamored by sin. Some might counsel you that today is a great day to repent and start fresh because it's New Year's Day, right? But the good news for you today is that God has not been waiting for the new year to give you a fresh start. God doesn't wait to forgive those who repent. Every day is the day to repent from our sin. And every time we do, God forgives us. Every time we repent, he gives us a fresh start. And so repent of your sin. And that will give you a chance this morning to see Christ's atonement, his glory in his atonement, and his glory in his mercy for sinners. But today is New Year's Day. And so to any one of you, was excited about the new plan you have for your Bible reading? Maybe you thought about that. If you have, I'm so thankful that you are planning to read the Bible. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. But I want to remind all of us that the goal in having a Bible reading plan is not to finish our plan or to stay on track. We are reading the Bible to see the glory of Jesus Christ because we want God to change us from the image of Adam to the image of of God, from glory to glory all year long. And so if you get behind in your Bible reading, but you're seeing the glory of Christ, praise the Lord. If you get way behind your Bible reading, but you're still seeing the glory of Christ and he's changing you, praise the Lord, okay? You don't even have to catch up, all right? Open your Bibles every day to admire, savor, and be captivated by the glory of Christ. And finally, for anyone who has kids, let me caution us. As parents, we should have good rules for our kids. And if they are good rules, we should enforce them. But our good rules will not be what gets our children ready for the judgment. We can't change our kids any more than we can change ourselves. But we can show them Christ by reading the word with them, by praying with them, by bringing them here. And most importantly, by being captured ourselves by the glory of Christ. So pray for your kids. 
Pray for all of our kids. That God would change their hearts so that they are captured and changed by the glory of Jesus. So as you think about 2023, or maybe you just think about tomorrow, there may be a lot of things you want to change about yourself. I hope so. But do not neglect the way God wants you to be involved in his plan to change you from the image of Adam to the image of Christ. Twice, at least, in the Christmas season, we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And the second time we did, we included a final, less than commonly known verse that goes like this. Adam's likeness, now efface, remove, stamp thine image in its place. Let's commit by God's grace to keep turning from sin and turning to Jesus. And by God's grace, at the end of this coming year, 2023, we will reflect more of the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that when we open your word and we read about your Son, And we see that he is glorious. We see that he is trustworthy. We see that his promises are true. We see his mercy and his faithfulness. You have been so kind to to change our hearts through the new birth. And I pray that now as we turn to the table, that you would encourage our hearts with the glory of your son that we see there. Thank you for your love that we see and how you sent him to die on the cross for our sins, now you raised him from the dead. Lord, we thank you for your commitment to our transformation. If it was up to us, it would never happen. And so we pray by your grace that you would help us to keep turning from sin this year and to keep turning to Jesus in all the ways that you have provided us that glorious vision. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.